Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles, or we hope to be again sometime soon. Everything we do as a church is, as with most of the rest of life, currently happening online. We're not all in the same circumstances, but these days are not easy for most of us. Please know that Ed and I are here and available to speak to you if you need any spiritual or emotional support at all. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Um, good afternoon, evening, etc., etc. Happy second week of Advent. It's uh, nice to have you with us. And Christmas is approaching. And in a minute, we're going to hear the announcement of the birth of Jesus from the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, a story that is no doubt very familiar to all of us. And it's nice at these times to hang on to something that's a bit familiar, isn't it? Because everything else is so uncertain in life right now. But familiarity can also bring with it its problems. Uh, it may not actually breed contempt for the story, but it can bring a sort of certain mehness. We can feel kind of anaesthetised to the wonder of any story, however wonderful, how, however brilliant and earth-shattering, um, if we've heard it uh, lots and lots of times. But my hope is that we can kind of see it again, uh, see it with fresh eyes this morning, and actually the sort of epoch-defining extraordinariness of God becoming man, of a virgin birth, of uh, God visiting us in human form in a stable can actually kind of hit us between the eyes once more and we can see what all of this represents because ultimately the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas is, is the story of hope. Hope for the world, for us and for all people. And where we are right now, in the middle of now the strictest lockdown yet and 10 months into all this Covid awfulness, I can't really think of uh, anything that we need more than some hope. So that's my prayer, that there will be hope. And let's not dwell too much on you know, the awfulness of it, but um, it's worth seeing uh, the contrast between what Christmas says life is about and what our current experience may be. Because instead of the mundanity of uh, our current existence, Christmas actually says life is supposed to be about the miraculous. And instead of the uh, loneliness that so many of us are experiencing, the separated off from each other, Christmas says life is actually meant to be intimate and personal. Uh, And instead of the constraints, Christmas says freedom is what we're created for. And instead of banality, the sort of everydayness of our current existence, Christmas says life is made to be divine, to be lofty and high. And it's why I think we find these times uh, particularly so challenging to us. It's actually not what we're designed for. It's not what, it's not what God wants uh, for us. But, and here is the crucial and wonderful point. Our God is so amazing, so powerful and generous and kind. He loves us so much. He's so merciful and so willing to get involved with everything of our lives that he can bring all of this to us anyway all the miraculousness, all the intimacy, all the freedom, and all the lofty divine-like experience of life, even in these horrible circumstances, even in lockdown. And that's what he's going to do, and what he wants to do right now for all of us, and what he will do as we let him, to give it all to us once more, because that's how much he loves us, 
and that's how much we need it. So let's get into it. This is Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 28. No, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to talk about just a few words from this passage this morning. And the first word is from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Only the word isn't really birth at all. It's actually genesis in the Greek. It's beginning. The same word that's used at the beginning of the Bible to describe creation. It, the same word actually at the very first verse of Matthew's gospel talking about the genealogy of Jesus. The point is that Jesus' birth isn't just a birth, although it is, of course, it's also the start of a whole new world order. This is not just a sort of story that happened 2,000 years ago, before it, there wasn't Jesus, and then there's Jesus, and now kind of life carries on. His birth is the birth of a whole new age, a whole paradigm shift in the makeup of the universe. It is history's defining moment. There was time before it, and now there's time after it. The age before is characterized by striving and pain and dislocation and loss. The age since is characterized by peace and joy and goodness. Now, of course, any brief look through history will tell us that the effects of this whole new era haven't always been very vividly seen. In fact, there have been times where it's almost uh, understandable to think, has anything changed at all? Did Jesus' um, incarnation, did his life and death and resurrection actually count for anything? Uh, if you're anything like me and Hannah, you'll have been questioning things. I know we're pastors and we're not supposed to question anything, uh, but we have been throughout this time. Where is Jesus in all of this? Is this all true, even? What are we doing? It's been lonely and horrible. But the truth is, the story of Christmas says that a new age has been inaugurated, that Jesus' birth has started this thing, and it exists and it persists despite all actual external circumstances. It always has done and it always will do until he returns. During the greatest triumphs of human history, during the Renaissance or the Enlightenment or uh, the Civil Rights Movement, this era was still there. And also during the most horrible and depraved moments of human history. And of course, even now, it persists. This era of a whole new way of being, thanks to Jesus. Thanks that he was born in a stable 2,000 years ago. These are the hallmarks of that era. It's miraculous, it's intimate, it's liberating, and it's divine. Second word, verse 18, pregnant. Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Ah, uh, the virgin birth. 
there's actually no real reason for God choosing to do the incarnation thing like this. After all, he could have done whatever he liked. He could have arrived as a fully grown human beamed in from Mars if he wanted to, or he could have kind of risen from the earth like some sort of plant god-man. Uh, but he chose the incarnation to be through a conception conceived by the Holy Spirit, which, of course, is the subject of so many odd beliefs and uh, interpretations and theologies down the year, and, of course, also a massive stumbling block to so many people actually believing in the whole thing. But interestingly, not a stumbling block to the first Christians. Uh, Matthew here doesn't have any need uh, to apologise for it, to argue for it, to try and um, uh, explain. He just sort of states it as a matter of fact because his first audience would have also believed it to be just a matter of fact. If you think about it, if you've seen Jesus healing the sick and uh, um, uh, calming storms and turning water into wine and then raising the dead and then also himself being killed and then risen three days later and performing more miracles. It actually isn't too difficult to think, yeah, virgin birth probably sounds about right. I'd have been surprised if it hadn't been kind of miraculous and weird. Um, so why then does God choose to do it? Well, I think because he can. It's as simple as that because he can choose to do that. I think he's sort of saying, you may find it easier to get your head around water into wine or uh, the storm being calmed in a word, but try this one on for size. And what he's saying is this universe of mine is with its kind of uh, physics laws and its biological laws and its chemical laws, its fixed points. God is saying it is completely... Um, going to bend to my will whenever I want it to, because I am so much greater than we could possibly conceive. I'm greater than any human mind can get its head around. This is who I am. That's the sort of God I am. And I will do what I like with my universe whenever I choose. And actually, this is the antidote to the mundanity of life. We're not actually made for the mundane. We find it difficult because we're made for something more. We're made for the miraculous. Don't we yearn for it? Some sort of magic in life. And Christmas says God is the source of all the magic. He is the miraculous one. And he is bringing the miraculous to our current experience. Um, in our prayer meeting this week, uh, actually a few weeks ago, um, one of my friends was saying that her relations were um, at each other's throats. There was being a complete breakdown of relationship. They kind of basically hated each other and they were suing each other. They were taking each other to court and she had kind of lost all hope. She was desperate for some sort of miraculous change to what was going on. She, she asked us to pray and we prayed. And actually I didn't find it too difficult to pray because um, I knew that God doesn't want this. In fact, Paul talks about it in Corinthians, don't take each other to court. And it's easy to pray when we know this is exactly what God wants to happen. Uh, as um, Richard Forster put it, uh, real prayer is actually thinking God's thoughts after him. It's desiring the things he desires. It's loving the things he loves. It's willing the things he wills. And that's what we were doing in prayer. And we prayed. And guess what? Seemingly insurmountable problems, these um, relations who were at each other's throats, they decided not to take each other to court, they decided not to sue each other, they settled, they sorted it out. Now, they went from hating each other to being actually in a position to um, sort out all of this problem. I think that is an answer to prayer. 
Um, my friend was saying, this is a miracle. This is extraordinary. She was blown away. Now, there are still lots of um, things that need to happen in that relationship uh, for it to actually to be fully restored. But um, it was wonderful to hear about. Now, I don't think in strict terms that's a miracle. I think a miracle is when the natural order is um, subverted. But it is an answer to prayer. And it comes from a God who says these things are not right and I'm going to make them right. Don't we want that? To see him do amazing things. So what is it that you are currently longing for God to do that it's hard to even believe could be possible? Is it the restoration of some sort of relationship? Is it someone who is close to you who is sick? Is it your own illness? Is it provision? Whatever it is, it strikes me that those who um, see the most powerful moves of God are the ones who pray to see the most powerful moves of God, who continue to lift up these situations, believing that the God who uh, came to earth in the form of a baby and displayed his miraculous power throughout is the same God who lives in us and works through us in this new age of his. Christmas says, this is ours for the taking, so let us pray for it. Third word, Emmanuel, verse 23, which means God with us. So Los Angeles was already a pretty tough place uh, to have any sense of community, wasn't it, before lockdown. Uh, people often arrive in the city um, alone. They often live alone. They often find it difficult to be anything other than alone as we kind of pack ourselves into these metal car carcasses and sit on a freeway kind of separated from one another, not really having any interaction. And of course, lockdown has only made this more difficult. And this is months, isn't it? Isn't it? It's been difficult to feel anything other than quite alone. Certainly Hannah and I have felt this, particularly this time of year, Christmas time. It's like, I want to go and see English people. Americans do Christmas great, but Britain, we invented it. No, we didn't. Uh, but it's just longing for those familiar things. Please know that um, Hannah and I really are here for you. Um, we would be more than happy to talk on the phone, to email, to text, whatever you'd like. Please reach out to us because you're not alone, even if we are separated. We're praying for you and we will get, all, get through this all together um, and we will be able to see each other again. But Christmas says something even more profound than we are made for human relationship. It says God has come close, that whatever our circumstances, God is with you right now as you sit listening to this. He is by your side. He's with you. He's not against us. He's not far from us. He's not abandoning us or forsaking us or punishing us. God is with us and he's always with us, always and forever. When I'm with my friends, do you know what we do? We just, we have a drink and we sit down and we shoot the breeze. We chat about anything and everything. 
we don't necessarily try to fix each other. We don't sit down and go, hey, can you, um, uh, can you help me with all my problems? Uh, and can you tell me what's wrong with me? And we don't go, hey, I've been thinking about you. These are the things you need to change in order to be a better person. Now, of course, friendship sometimes does uh, necessitate that because we care about each other. We will tell each other uh, tough love type things. But in general, we just kind of talk about anything and everything and we laugh and we reminisce when, uh, with, with our friends. Well, Jesus wants us to know that he calls us his friend. That's the relationship he wants with us. So welcome him in again. Welcome him as a friend again. God is with us. He is right here with us. Fourth word, verse 21, Jesus. You are to give him the name of Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Now, at the time of Jesus, actually lots of people were calling their children Jesus. It meant deliverer. It meant God saves. And people were giving uh, their children this name because it was a sort of sign of hope that God will at one point step in and save his people. Save them from Roman rule. Release them from uh, this sort of slavery in their own land. Release them from being subject to a foreign power and, and make them his people once more. Well, Jesus is the deliverer. Not from political oppression, but from sin of which, of course, political oppression is one, but actually only one, of myriad symptoms. Sin is the all-encompassing term for everything that is incorrectly functioning in the world. One of the most famous definitions is uh, from a guy called Martin Luther. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Martin Luther, but I'm going to quote him here. And he describes sin, though, as this. Homo incovatus in se, which basically means humankind turned in on itself. Now, I think in lockdown, when there's been actually nowhere to go, nowhere to get out, it's kind of a breeding ground, and it's very hard for us not to just turn in on ourselves. What else is there to do after all? And the results can be anything from kind of puffing ourselves up in a sort of self-importance, uh, self-congratulatory, self-righteous way, or it can be um, kind of uh, pulling ourselves down in some sort of self-destruction. But all of it has at its core uh, this um, fact that humanity, that we are turned in on ourselves. We're seeking ourselves. Christmas, though, says... We don't need to do that anymore. And actually, we're most happy. We're most uh, full of life when we're turned in the opposite direction towards Jesus. He doesn't come to condemn us. The idea that God's there wanting you to feel terrible about yourself has got nothing to do with the New Testament. The New Testament, the story of this whole new age, is about the exact opposite. It's about you being lifted up about being set free. He doesn't come to punish you, he comes to liberate you. To be who he made you to be, we just have to let him. What the world does not need is more sanctimonious self-importance, nor does it need more self-serving selfishness. What the world needs is people who are free. It's what we need for ourselves. Freedom to love God, freedom to love one another, freedom to love ourselves, and most importantly, free to receive his love. Final word, 
It's actually two words. Verse 20, Holy Spirit. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, up until now, the biblical narrative um, depicting the Holy Spirit has been him as a sort of bit part player. Uh, specifically, actually, the Holy Spirit has been understood to really just be um, nothing more than a kind of power emanating from God to do his will. And sadly, people now, Christians, even still think of uh, the Holy Spirit as that. But, in fact, with the advent, with the beginning of this new world order, the Holy Spirit is given his proper dues. He is a person. He has personhood. He is the third equal member of the Trinity. And whilst the Gospels, which we spend most of our time looking at, depict the beginning of Jesus' kingdom rushing in and focus on him, the second person of the Trinity, actually the reality is it's the Holy Spirit who will come to dominate proceedings from here on in. The Christian life, the kingdom life, our life right now is the life of the Holy Spirit. Do not fear, therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit. To do so would be to rob us of this whole thing, the whole shebang. He really is it. His job is to infuse you with his presence, to fill you and to empower you. It is actually in his dimension of life that the whole of the Christian life is supposed to be lived. So without him, we really are nothing because he's the one who changes us and guides us and moves us and he speaks to us and he refreshes us and he communicates Jesus to us. He is the one in which we are lifted from the banality of a human existence up into the divine. And he is the one who is always there. He is the one who is uh, overflowing and ready to pour himself into us, to uh, to enliven the flame of his presence in us at any moment. As the prophet Isaiah says, This age of Jesus, this time when the Spirit is free to fill anyone and everyone who asks him, this is when we can all say, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. Those who don't even have any money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. To everyone who wants, more is on offer. To those sick of the banality, of the humanness, of the striving and the strain, the Spirit comes to bring the divine, poured out, pressed down and flowing over his very presence. So as we end, let us say, come Holy Spirit. This is what Christmas is all about. The old has gone and the new has come. And the hallmarks of this new age of Jesus are the miraculous instead of the mundane, intimacy for loneliness, freedom from sin instead of its constraints, and the divine Holy Spirit filling our hearts, lifting them up out of our normal experience of life. So let's welcome him. And it's because of Christmas that I believe in the church, because the church is where this epoch of Jesus is best communicated. The more we experience it, the more we share it with other people. The freer we are, the more able we are to set other people free. So believe in church, believe in the gospel, believe in Christmas, and have a very wonderful, wonderful rest of week. Come Lord Jesus.
we welcome you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that in Jesus you changed the whole world. You turned it upside down and you've given it to us as a free gift, a sign of your extraordinary generosity. We welcome your presence now and we ask that you would fill us again with this life, with this new life of Jesus. We welcome your presence. Lift us up. In your name. Amen. Bye-bye. See you on the 20th. Please send uh, your goodbye and wish, uh, well wishes to Alison Brandon. See you soon. There's nothing worth more That could ever come close No thing can compare You're our living hope Your presence, Lord I've tasted and seen All the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory, God, is what I long for To be overcome by your presence, Lord Your presence, Lord There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing could compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. Oh, I've tasted and seen all the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are And fill the atmosphere Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by your presence Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere
glory, God is what our hearts long for to be.